I've always had the knack to be able to be friends with just about anybody, even as a young man in my teenage years. I was able to develop this relationship with people because I like people and I like hearing stories. Now, one of my more obscure friendships that I had as a 16-year-old was with a gentleman by the name of Harley Brown. And by the time I met Harley, he was in his early 80s uh, when I met him and started to mow grass for him and just help him around his house. Now, Harley had this reputation of being a man who was as mean as a junkyard dog. And I saw him from time to time be mean and, and abrasive and rough with people, but by and large, Harley and I were really good friends, and we, we got along very well. We never had a crossword with one another. We never had a problem, and I just enjoyed Harley's company because he had great stories. Now, Harley was one of those products of the Depression, and as such, he knew a little bit about everything. How many of you had a grandpa who, or perhaps a dad who grew up in the Depression, and they just knew a little bit about everything? That was Harley. You, you put something in front of him, he could figure it out. Out. And so I really enjoyed spending time with him. However, his real pride and joy was being able to grow all types of different gardens. In his professional days, Harley worked as a botanist at the research field station in Woodward where he lived at. Well into his retirement years, he enjoyed planting gardens, both flowers and, and vegetables and, and fruit gardens. And, and he was just able to grow just anything that he touched. And that fascinated me because just as charity kills everything, she tries to grow, so too I kill everything I try to grow. Uh, it's amazing Knox is still alive to this point, <laughs> to be honest with you. He's pretty tall. He might be a foot taller if somebody else was raising him. I don't know. <laughs> Harley could grow anything that he touched. Here's why. Because Harley understood the process, the timing, and the principles of sowing and reaping. So watching him sow and reap that process taught me a lot about stewardship. Ultimately, gardening is a process of stewardship. You take seeds, you prepare the ground, you put the seeds into the ground, you start to water, you fertilize at the right time, and ultimately what's going to happen is you're going to have a harvest, a return that is bigger than the seed that you put into the ground. And through the process of sowing and reaping, you can take a small amount of seeds, and through time, through effort, and through diligence, you can have larger harvests year after year after year, season after season. Why? Because sowing and reaping produces more than what you put into the ground. What is required is diligence and stewardship of the seeds that you have. If, you don't, if you're not diligent in stewarding those seeds, then you're not going to get a harvest, and you're not going to be able to get a increase. Now, what's fascinating about the process of sowing and reaping is that sowing and reaping is the fundamental call of all of humanity. Stewardship is a cornerstone of the calling of humanity. Every person that God has allowed to walk on this earth is called to be a steward. If you were here last week, we started reading in 2 Corinthians, and, and it's talking about fiscal giving and the process of, steward, of sowing and reaping. And I want to read it to you again. 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. And we're going to read verses 6 through 8. Here's what the scripture has to say. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound in you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, what's interesting is that Paul is talking to us about giving financially as a part of the sowing process. And here's what Paul understood that we need to understand this morning. And this is our big idea for the message. God has placed seeds in our life, and our calling is to steward those seeds for a return to his glory and for our supply. God has given us seeds. We are to steward those seeds to bring him glory and to bring our supply. Now today we're going to spend some time looking at the biblical understanding of sowing and reaping. And I want to give you a couple thoughts before we jump into this. First, the structure of this sermon is going to be a little bit different than what you're used to from me. The first half we're going to look at the biblical understanding of stewardship. And then on the second half we're going to look at some practical applications of those spiritual truths truths. The other guidelines I want you to keep in mind is this. This is very important for you to hear this morning, that when we say stewardship, we are talking about more than money. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about more than money. That's a long sentence to turn to your neighbor. Some of you are like, I forgot what he said. So we're going to practice again. Turn to your other neighbor and say, he's talking about more than money. Okay, we might have to do it a third time. We're going to move on because we want to go to lunch today. (laughs) You have time that's a seed in your life. You have talent that's a seed in your life. And you have treasure. You have possessions that are seeds in your life. The biggest problem that we run into when we start thinking about stewardship is we think about only money. And that is about the smallest fraction of a detail that God has, smallest seed that God has put in your life to sow. Some of you are sowing financially, but you're not sowing with the talent that God has given you. Some of you are sowing financially, but you aren't sowing with the time that you have. It takes more than finances to bring God's glory and to bring you your supply in life. He has given you lots of different resources, lots of different seed, and you need to look at all of them and you need to sow them well. Some of you are looking at your life and saying, I don't have a lot of financial resources to invest in the kingdom of God. You don't need a lot of financial resources. If God wanted you to have those, he would have brought those to you. But I promise you that you do have seed to sow. And the reason why this is important to remember is if you are five or you are 50, you have a purpose in this season and you are to steward what God has brought you so that you can fulfill the purpose that he has for your life. God has created and called us to be good stewards, and we need to look at the overall purpose of our life, and we need to look at all of our resources to make that come to pass. Because if we get to the end of this message and we think it was about money, then we have missed the whole point of sowing and reaping. Let me prove it to you. Genesis chapter number one, we're very familiar with this passage because I read it often. If you want to see how God really intended us for us to live, you look at Jesus and you look at how he originally created us. And so in our original creation, we see our original calling. And that's why we want to read this to you again today. Genesis chapter one, verse number 26 says this, then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in his, in the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. Check this out, verse 28, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful 
and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over everything that moves on the earth. What was God saying? In a word, he was saying, steward my creation. Verse 29. And God said, behold, I give you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and every creeping thing on the earth and everything that has breath. I give every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning, the sixth day. Now we're in day six of creation and God has created everything over the previous five days. And now on day six, he's making the pinnacle of his creation, humanity. He's creating Adam and Eve in the image and in the likeness of himself to reflect his glory to this earth. And so we know from the very beginning of scripture, the detail of the creation of humanity. And the first big thing to notice about the creation of man is that God spoke the world into existence. He spoke the stars and into existence, but God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life in him. And God said man was to be in his image and in his likeness and with a purpose. We know that just we're not just like God. We're not all powerful. We're not all knowing. We cannot be everywhere at once. However, we do have the likeness of God. We have emotion and free will and the ability to love, and this separates us from the rest of God's creation. This is a privilege, but this privilege comes with a responsibility. Every privilege in life comes with a responsibility. You might have a house, that is a privilege, but it has a responsibility to be maintained or it's going to fall down around you. You might have a family and that's a privilege, but you have a responsibility to love them. And God created us in his image, but he gave us responsibility. God intended for us to walk in the will and the purpose that he laid out before us. From the very beginning, God gave dominion on this earth to Adam and Eve and commanded humanity to be what? Fruitful and multiply. We have dominion over the earth. And what that means is that God put us in charge of carrying his will out on earth. A poor analogy of this would be an employer coming to an employee with an edict saying, I need you to complete the following task. And then it's the responsibility of the employee to carry out that work. Part of the charge of dominion of humanity was to be fruitful and multiply. We are not to be consumers or to be reproducers. We're not to be only consumers. We are to contribute, to use what God has brought to us to reproduce and to multiply. We are not to sit around and be lazy. We are to be productive. We are to live with a purpose and think about the significance of that teaching. God had spent six days creating everything that you see. And God said, now I'm going to put them in charge to steward my creation. This teaches us something very important. Stewardship flows from being in the image and the likeness of God. God is a steward of his creation. I need to take a break. God is a steward of his creation. And as such, God has called us to steward his creation. Psalms chapter number eight says this. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you have cared for him, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all the sheep and the oxen and all the beasts of the, of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The psalmist is saying, look, I see how you created everything. And yet here I am humble and I'm weak. And yet you have crowned me with honor and you have given me charge over what you've created. The psalmist is in amazement that God would put him in dominion over his creation. It's a badge of honor that God has given you resources to steward in life. I want you to think about that. God could have given anybody your family and yet he gave it to you. God could have planted you anywhere, yet he planted you here. God could have made you live in any house that he wanted, yet he gave you this house, and he gave you that job, and he gave you that finances, and he gave you that talent, and he gave you that time. Why? Because he trusts you to carry out his will with what he's brought in your life. When we understand that stewardship is part of the original design and the job description of humanity, the commandments of sowing and reaping make so much more sense. Think about the commands and the principles that we see throughout Scripture when it comes to sowing and reaping. Here's a few Proverbs, Proverbs 11, 24 through 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer, yet another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. The psalmist is saying, look, it seems like the more generous people are with what they have, the more they acquire, and the more stingy they are, the less they seem to have. Proverbs 22, 9 says, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. We have lots of scriptures confirming that stewardship, sowing and reaping, is part of the nature of God that he's instilled in us. We have resources in our life that we are to steward. Now, this gets even better. We've just read the the 30,000 foot view of the creation count in Genesis 1. If you turn to Genesis chapter 2, you're going to get a more detailed description of the process in which God created humanity and the experience of God. And the Bible says something very interesting. I want to read it to you. Genesis chapter number 2, starting in verse number 5, it says this. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, He said, nothing's grown yet. Why? For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and watered the whole face of the ground. I want you to think about that for a second. Pause. Why had nothing grown yet? Because God hadn't caused it to rain because there was nobody to work the ground. Let that sink in for a second. God did not let the grass and the plants grow until there was a man to work it. Then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living creature. Then God planted a garden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Notice that God plants the seeds, but he doesn't plant the trees. 
God had just spoken. He could have just spoken all the trees into existence. He could have said trees and boom, there were trees. And yet he put seed in the ground and the Bible says there was no brush and no, no plant yet because there was not a man to work. And then once God put Adam in the garden, he started making things grow up for Adam to take care of and to feed off of. We don't know how fast they grew, but that's not really the point. The point is that sowing and reaping was the very first lesson that Adam and Eve learned about the responsibility of stewardship. God created Adam, put him in a garden. The first thing he did is he saw things grow. Now think about the significance of that truth. They saw sowing and reaping as part of their purpose. God didn't allow anything to grow until they could take care of it. God planted the seeds. They watched it increase. Wow. Listen here, church. Make no mistake about it. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called to be a steward. It's part of the fundamental makeup of the human existence. We see throughout scripture, and we've already talked about it, there's countless passages. Just in case you are not convinced that stewardship is part of the human's existence, specifically the call for Christians, let me read you one of the most popular parables Jesus ever told. Jesus told the story about the three servants with the talents. Matthew chapter 25, starting verse number 14, says this. For it will be like the Son of Man going on a journey, who has called his servants and entrusted them with his property. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded them and made five more. He who had the two talents made two more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master called those servants to come and settle accounts with them. And he had received the five talents, came forward, bringing five more and saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five more. And his master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Then he who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here, and I made two more. And his master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who had received the one talent came forward and said, master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you had scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid the talent in the ground. Here, you can have what is yours. And the master answered, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I put no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers that my coming and I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him who had, from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents for to everyone who has more will be given to him and he'll have an abundance. But from the one who has not, he will even be taken away and cast this worthless servant to utter darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus warned in this parable that the good, to be good stewards of the gospel message of our witnesses and the resources that God has brought to our life. 
Now, here's the principle that we need to see. Jesus is confirming that our responsibility as believers is to steward what God has brought into our life. Now, how can you know if you're a good steward or not? Here's one litmus test to read between the lines that Jesus gave us here is this. He said to the one who had 10 talents, come and enjoy your master's joy. To the one who took the two and made four, he said, come and enjoy your master's joy. But to the one, the one was afraid and he was scared of the master and he didn't want anything to do with the master and the master called him worthless. Here's the thing that you need to understand. Some of us are walking in fear. We're walking in worry because we haven't been good stewards to what God has brought us to. If you don't have joy and you don't have, you don't have this peace inside of your heart, one of the things, it might not be the reason, but one of the things you should do is stop and say, God, am I being good stewards with the things that you brought in my life? Am I being a good steward with my marriage? Am I being a good steward with my children? Am I being a good steward in my job? Am I being a good steward with my time? Because if we are, perhaps there'll be joy in our life that we can, we can share with our master. So now we have an understanding of stewardship. So what are the practical implications of stewardship? You might be sitting here this morning saying, okay, I'm on board. I know that God created me to be a steward, that I'm to sow and I'm to reap in different places in my life. What am I to practically do with this truth? Well, the first thing that you're going to have to do is this, to sow you have to identify the seeds. If we are called to be good stewards, then we have to identify the seeds that God has placed in our life. I referenced the movie Secondhand Lions a few weeks ago, and I got a bunch of feedback from that because you guys have watched that movie, and everybody universally who has seen that movie likes the movie. Have you seen the movie Secondhand Lions? Wave your hand at me. Okay, one of my favorite scenes in that movie is they're out there gardening and, and they, Michael Caine had bought them all the, you know, the uniforms are wearing the overalls and the hats and the pants are rolled up, you know, and they're out there with the hose and they're trying to work it. And Robert Duvall says, hey, what's this row? And they said, corn. And he said, what's this row? Lettuce. And what's this row? Tomatoes. And what's this row? Cucumbers. And he said, Robert Duvall said, well, then why does this row look like this row and looks like this row? It's all corn, 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 corn. What happened? They, didn't be, they weren't able to identify the seeds that they put into the ground, and they didn't know what they were harvesting on the backside of that. If you want to be a good steward, then you need to ask yourself, what seeds has God placed in my life? That's an interesting question. The thing about seeds is that Seeds look small and insignificant. Some of the resources that God has brought to your life look small and insignificant. But through the process of sowing and reaping, there can be full potential can be realized of those small and seemingly insignificant resources. A lot of people never take time to take inventory of the resources in their life because their resources look meager in the eyes of someone else. Let me give you a simple example of that. I remember very vividly, as a small child, I was in a Sunday school class, and my teacher was telling a story about how she grew up very poor. She said that their, their standard dinner a lot of times was biscuit and gravy and or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because they were cheap. That's what her mom could afford. If I remember correct, uh, she, she was being raised by a single mom, and mom just didn't have a lot of money. And she said she remembers very vividly one night that mom invited the neighbors over to eat dinner with them. And before the neighbors got there, she said to her mom, Mom, why did you invite the neighbors over? All we have is peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and biscuits and gravy. We don't have a whole lot. And the mom said to her, yes, dear, we don't have a whole lot, but they have a lot less than we do. 
And she said, there's always someone who's worse off than you. Now think about the power of that. This woman whom I've never met told that to her daughter who told it to me as a small child. Now I'm relaying it to you. You talk about one simple truth that that lady planted into the ground of her child. That truth that she knew was a resource and a seed. She didn't have a whole lot to give her daughter. She didn't have money to give her daughter. She didn't have a lot of food to put in front of her. But what she did have was to give her wisdom and knowledge. And she planted that in her daughter's life, who then grew and told me as a child, now I'm telling you guys, who would have ever thought that that mama, when she told that to her daughter, would have known the outcome of that small seed that was placed in her life? Sometimes our resources look meager, but in the hands of Jesus, they can start to multiply. Just ask the small boy who brought a sack lunch while Jesus was teaching. He had five loaves, two fish, and yet what Jesus did was took inventory of those resources and he was able to multiply it to the amazement of everyone else sitting around looking at it. So what seeds has God brought into your life? What resources had God placed in your care to be a steward of? I said in the beginning of the message, it needs to be said again, it's not about money. It's about every seed that God has in your life. Tangible things. It doesn't matter even if you are a multi-billionaire. Those are the small portion of things that God has called you to invest in your life. So what are the seeds? What are the seeds? You need to look. For some of you, it's your house that you can open up and start welcoming people in and discipling them and giving them a meal. For some of you, it's your job. For some of you, it's your talent. Some of it's your time. All of us have been given the gospel message that we are to steward well to other people. Here's the bottom line. We all have seeds in our life, and we need to see those seeds as talent that Jesus has deposited into our life, and he doesn't expect us to bury it in the ground because it looks meager to us. He didn't ask us what we thought of the seeds. He just planted them in our life and commands us to invest them. The quality of the seed, excuse me, the quantity of the seed in your life isn't what is important. The quality of stewardship is what matters. We read the parable of talents a moment ago. The master placed resources as each one was capable So when we fail to sow, it's not because we don't have enough seed or we weren't capable of managing what God brought us. We didn't sow because we didn't believe in the master enough, according to the parable. So take inventory of the seeds that you have. Second, once you have an inventory of the seed that you have, then you need to sow those seeds. There's multiple avenues in which you can sow the resources God has put in your life. Sow and work. God has provided you with the ability to take those resources and to do some diligent work. I talked about Harley Brown in the beginning. Gardening's a lot of work, and it takes diligent work. And sometimes the seeds that God has placed in your life is going to take diligent work. Sometimes you need to invest it in different ways. Sometimes you you need to give the things that God has placed in your life. I have a hero in the faith. His name's Brian Jarrett. That sucker gave away his house one time. Talk about resources to give away. That's pretty serious right there, isn't it? Some of you are like, oh, I hope he doesn't give an altar call today because I don't want to give away my house. <laughs> like, please don't give it. There's nobody going to give it. Enough. Nobody's coming to the altar call because they don't want to have God tell them to give away their house. What resources has God? You've been married for 40 years. Sow some of your stories of pain and heartache and victory into someone who just got married. You know what's amazing? You talk to somebody who's been married 50 years, technology's changed, vehicles look a little different, their marital problems are the same as yours. (laughs) Share that story. It doesn't matter if you lived in 1920 or 2020, 
if you looked at the bank account and it said zero, the feeling was the same. You know? I probably shared this. I remember when Charity and I moved into our first real house. Uh, I say real house because you didn't know what we got married in the first time. Our first real house. I remember they had this housewarming thing, and this older couple brought over this basket. And I don't even remember what was in the basket. I just remember his story. He said, man, he said, this looks a lot better than my first house. So let me tell you, when me and my wife first got married that first summer, or that first winter, rather, our house was so cold that I got up and my boots were literally frozen to the floor. <laughs> He's like, this is a lot nicer than that. You know what that told me? Is the times had changed, but the problems were the same. If you survive cancer, maybe you need to sow your testimony in someone else who just got a bad doctor's report. There are countless ways to sow what has been invested by God in your life and brought you life. So take inventory of that and get creative. So if you're going to be sow and reap, first thing is you've got to take inventory of the seeds that you have so that you can sow them through work or investment or giving to someone else. And third, you have to determine where to sow. There's a lot of places that a believer can and should sow in this present life, friends, church, family, community needs. There's lots of different areas, but you need to take it and you need to uh, sow it there. The question then becomes this. Now that we've talked about sowing seeds, what does the process of reaping look like? Like, let's get to that. That sounds fun. We've been talking a lot about sowing into the ground, but there's also the reaping. And some of you are like, I got a lot of bills and I need to do some reaping. Can I get a witness? Amen? Okay, that's just me and Charity. <laughs> All right. So we, we need to talk about the reaping. Let's get to the fun stuff. Does that mean that if I give $100, I'll get $200 next week? No, it doesn't work that way. Maybe. Maybe. I've been a lot of experiences where God's placed something specific on my heart. And I've given it, and I've gotten it back. And it's not always been finances. I know there's been times at the church where somebody needed something, and I dropped what I was doing to go help take care of that. And I would come back to my office. i say, God, I need a, I need a harvest of efficiency because I need to get this done because I'm running out of time. And somehow God makes what would normally take three hours go in 30 minutes. Yeah. I'm, I'm lying. I'm dying. Okay. <laughs> I didn't think that was that funny. I had this, pause real quick, I had this conversation with somebody, I told them the other day, I said, I'm not that funny, and they said, well, you make people laugh, I said, it's an accident, they're laughing at me, they're not laughing with me, they're laughing at me, you just proved my point, you just made an investment in proving me right, which makes me feel good, continuing on with the message. When you, here's the thing you need to understand. When you put a seed in the ground, what grows doesn't look like the seed. Except for corn, it kind of looks like corn. But other than that, the rest of it doesn't look, like you put a tomato seed in the ground, that, that tomato doesn't look anything like the seed that you put in the ground. And when you're faithful to invest and sow what God has brought in your life, you might see a reward completely differently than what you put into the ground. What that means, I might put some money in the ground, but I reap a blessing somewhere else. I might invest and sow some time into a neighbor and God rewards me somewhere else. I might use my talent to serve in the community and God rewards me somewhere else. I don't get to dictate what kind of reward I get. That's up to the master and he takes care of the rest. At this point, it'd be important to answer this question. I'm getting close to ending. I know you guys are ready to go home and I'm getting very close, okay? Some of you might be thinking, I'm sowing some seeds in the ground, but I'm not seeing a return. 
Have you ever been doing all the right things and yet all the bad things keep happening? Yeah. Maybe you've been faithful in giving your tithes and your offerings and you're like, but man, I'm still living month to month on the paycheck. Man, I've been investing a lot of time into a friend, witness into Jesus, and they're more of an atheist today than when I started. Man, I've been investing into my marriage, and it just seems like we fight more today than we did yesterday. Why does that happen? Well, two things. One, harvest takes time. You put seeds in the ground. It, it takes a while. It takes you five minutes to put a seed in the ground. It takes you five months to grow. But here's the other thing that you might want to, you just might want to evaluate. This may or may not apply to you. Sometimes you have some weeds sucking the life out of your harvest. You might be sowing. Let's take the low-hanging fruit. You might be sowing financially and you're giving, blessing other people. You're standing at the pump giving people $20 and you're obedient to what God says. And you're like, but man, I still live in month to month. Maybe you have some weeds of debt. They're choking the effectiveness of the blessing. Maybe you're sowing some time into your marriage, which is like, we're still arguing. Maybe you have the weed of a cell phone robbing your spare time. Maybe you don't see a return in your talent. Maybe you, maybe you have some weeds so, so, so sucking up the growth. That happens from time to time. So look and see, is there any weeds? I've given it some time. There doesn't seem to be growth. Is there any weeds? Here's the third thing you need to understand, though, about that. Sometimes we don't see a return because sometimes you just have bad years. Job was doing all the right things. Bad things still happen to him on the front side. Ask any farmer, and he knows that sometimes you have bad years. Can't explain it, can't predict it, and can't avoid it. It's just going to happen. But what the farmer will also tell you is if you stay consistent and diligent over the course of your lifetime, you'll have more good years than bad years. And I believe that's true for sowing and reaping as well. I want to close with this. Charity wants to come back. Worship team, you can stay where you're at. Our sound, if you didn't know earlier, we've, we've had some issues, and I think we were struggling a little bit, so we may or may not have altar call music. That's okay. We have talked and covered a lot of ground this morning about sowing and reaping, but I do want to, I just want to stop with this. I don't want you to think about the power of sowing and reaping from Christ himself. Christ is a sower. Christ sowed himself into the ground for our salvation. See, we were lost and separated from Jesus. We were in our own sin. So he took the resource he had, the ability he had, and he became a man and sowed by dying on a cross for you and me. Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it can't produce a harvest. Here's what he said in John chapter number 12, verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who were at Bathsheba in, in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew went and told Philip and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves him, he must follow him. And where I am, there will be my servants also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Kind of a weird thing, right? I mean, think about it. 
these people want to see Jesus, so they come to Philip, and Philip says, yeah, no problem, hang on one second, I'll go get Jesus. He goes and gets Andrew, he says, hey, these guys want to see Jesus, and so they all walked up to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, there's some people that want to see you, and Jesus responded by saying, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it doesn't bear any fruit. Imagine being Philip and Andrew, what do you do, walk away from that and say, was that yes or was that no? Like, that doesn't really answer the question. I think what Jesus was actually probably doing in this moment was giving them the answer that they needed before they asked the question, because he did that from time to time. And what Jesus was also doing in this moment was that he was pointing to himself. Unless unless I die, there's not going to be a harvest. So Jesus took the resource that he had, which was his body, and he sowed it for us. There was an exchange. Jesus gave his life so we could have our life. Christ died for us so that we can then live for him, walk in purpose with him, and give him glory and honor in everything that we do. You will notice that Jesus' purpose was tied to his stewardship. A lot of people are searching for their purpose in the rat race of life, and I can tell you this, that your purpose is tied to your stewardship, and your purpose and your stewardship are going to be partners in whatever God has for you.